and then all of a sudden everything made sense. This is the feeling I got when I attended the masterclass with Pedro and my friend Antonio Civita from Strategy. Pedro is one of the most direct and down-to-earth experts of growth hacking I've met. No BS, straight to the point, and a real passion for making people and companies better. I'm excited about this conversation as I feel like Dante being guided into hell. I couldn't ask a better guide for navigating the mysterious meanders of growth hacking. My name is Gianluca Cinquepalmi, you're listening to GLC Live, my podcast dedicated to business design. I'm an educator, design entrepreneur, and best-selling author. This show is dedicated to designers, creatives, and entrepreneurs that, like me, want to inspire, challenge, and disrupt the business and design industry. In this episode, the role of business design in growth hacking with Pedro Cilmati. Ciao, Pedro, and welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, John. Hello. Thank you so much for having <laughs> me. I'm doing super well. Uh, yeah, and after this awesome introduction, the bar has have just raised. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. So you are the head of growth in growhacker.com. So you are a growth hacker. So what is that and what's growth hacking in general? Cool. Yeah. So growhackers.com as a brand, we are uh, a community uh, of, uh, of growth professionals based around growth. So we were initially founded by Sean Ellis, the guy who actually coined the term growth hacking, wrote the book, and did the success based of Dropbox, Logmean, and a few other startups. So he came up with all of these, which um, currently have its own community, which is almost how community research is strong. We do have like the university where you can take qualifications and certification courses, and also a few, a few uh, uh, SaaS products under our umbrella and for content management. But most of, like above it all, we are a community that actually like tries to educate people about growth initiatives. And as the head of growth, in such brand, I'm currently responsible for actually running experiments and tests all over the place. So like every 40 or so, we sit down with the C-level and directors of our company and we list down the biggest issues and the biggest challenges that we are currently facing. Uh, with that defined, then it comes down to the growth team to actually run experiments out of the box of experiments and with high sample testing. And try to find an like an orthodox way to actually uh, solve that issue. So it's all about testing and experiment across the customer journey, and that's what our team does. Okay, has. that's amazing. So given that, let's say, be my teacher, and let's see if I understand after the courses and the certification that I got from GrowthHackers.com, <laughs> if I learned the lessons. So this is my overall understanding, and I'm trying to, to put it down this way for companies that are not 100% digital. Yep. The overall concept of growth hacking is, first of all, we are switching our mindset. So we start with the growth mindset. And so what does it mean to have a growth mindset? In, in my understanding is that... Yeah. We are leaving aside all the gut feelings and all the opinions, but we go into something that we can say is 
data-driven decision making. So if we do have the data and the data gives us the answer, then we pursue one activity rather than the other. You got right? 10. 10 out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> and the other part is if we do want to grow and we, I try to explain it like this, which is the feedback loop. You know, the feedback loop is this classical structure that we can apply, which means we try something, we test it, we get the result, we apply these results to modify our way of acting and, yes. and, and thinking. That's perfect. And yeah, and what else we can add on this growth mindset, yes. in your opinion? So a super important aspect of this, Gianluca, and it's not really well taught. People don't really talk about this, but it's super important. And because it's funny because like when we talk about growth, it's always about data, decision-making based on proof, uh, hypothesis validations. So everything you can actually touch. But when we talk about culture and mindset, that's the completely opposite. You cannot like measure growth, like measure culture or measure a mindset. It's super high. But uh, I think it comes down to two main things. One of them you have just, it's actually like, how can we make decisions based on real data? How can we actually be more certain that things are going to play out that play out well or not? But the other, the other base for, for the, the growth mindset or the, the growth culture is the support and the incentive that it's coming from the C-level. Uh, okay. Because with like, whenever we are talking about high tempo testing and hypothesis validations and etc., the good thing about this is exactly as you said, once the hypothesis is validated, I'm going to be making a decision based on data. So I'm more certain that things are going to work out that way. What is the other side of the coin? The other side of the coin is most of your hypotheses are not going to be validated. <laughs> most of your tests are not going to be exactly what you expect them to be. It, it just comes with it. It's impossible for you to be innovative. It's impossible for you to be like achieving long-term sustainable growth if you do not fail along the way. Jeff Bezos said that a lot of companies are embracing the idea of innovation. They love the idea about launching new products, new services, going to new markets, but they don't really deal with the fact that most of them will fail. So you gotta, like, when we talk about uh, the growth culture and growth mindset, I believe one super important aspect of this is the support of the C-level, the directors and the presidents and the board. Because without their support, no one's going to be taking the, the necessary risks that you need to take to get there. So those leaders, they need to tell you that it's all right for you to fail as long as it's on that safe space, right? Like we're talking about like actually bringing a growth team to a company. It's precisely because they will have the flexibility and the elasticity to fail, but to succeed, to fail and succeed. If everyone in the company just goes crazy, like if, if the marketing department, the sales department, the tech department, the support team, everyone starts to fail like in 50% of what they do, the company is not going to last much longer. So true, true. we talk about cre creating a, a growth team because they will have a safe space for them to take risks 
And if like whenever it happens, they will fail, but that's okay because they are gonna succeed with the hypotheses that are actually validated are gonna help them succeed. So it, uh, the, the growth mindset culture, in my opinion, comes down to those two aspects. One, how can we make decisions based on data and being more assertive on the decisions that we make? And second, the importance of the C-level, the, the directors and the leaders to support the risk-taking. It's not to support failure. It's the support of actually taking risks. And with risks being taken, it comes failure. <laughs> of course. So I, I was developing a section for maybe we can... Uh, we are not going to release our, we're not going to spoil it, but with Pedro, we are working on a project and <laughs> soon maybe we can release the idea of the way that I wanted to explain growth. I borrowed a concept that it, it was very hype a few years ago, which is the horizon of growth. And I believe McKinsey became the very first large company that that spread this idea. What, what does it say in a nutshell that you have three horizons of growth? So horizon one is the known market. What are you, the activities that you are doing today? The investment that you have to do today to sustain your company, which is optimization, making your product better or making your team better. So that's horizon one. Horizon two is... Uh, a little bit of R&D and discovery on projects or ideas that might come to fruition in 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 few years time or in few months time and then you have H3 Horizon 3 and our friend Antonio explained this as well in one of his wonderful lectures and H3 is more the moonshot and, and going to try to understand those markets now there is a problem with this structure that I noticed, which is in the original development, this was linked to years. Six months, three to six months is horizon one. One to two years is horizon two and two to five years is horizon three. Now, the problem that I noticed in this market and in the kind of VUCA world uh, that we live today is that this time frame division of growth is not necessarily accurate, meaning that changes in market can happen super fast. And look what happened with COVID and the absolute crazy drive to digitalization and digital transformation that almost every single company on the planet had to go towards because otherwise they would just die because they were cut out of the game. So you have... Mature markets, this is your H1, which means this is the market where you are in, where you are comfortable, you are selling, let's say that you are selling pens or chairs or, or shoes, whatever it is, and your market really well, your customers, your distribution channel, you have, we can say your business model is validated and is up and running. In, in H2, which doesn't mean that it's going to happen tomorrow, but is something that you are evaluating, you are testing your potential. So let's say that if you're doing pens, maybe you're saying, oh, maybe there is a lot of millennials love retro things. So maybe instead of doing just the office ball pen, we can do pencils now because we see that market is developing. It's something that might be interesting. And so this is our H2. And then you have the 
absolute new market. This is something that nobody thought about or very few people are entering that market, which is, I don't know, a digital pen. Let's say this is just a stupid example to, to explain this. So when I say growth mindset and I try to explain it this way, is that's exactly, and I've been working with a lot of companies. And when I asked this, this information, I said, okay, what are you thinking about for that very far out market that you didn't venture in? And sometimes what is that? And this was one example that McKinsey was talking about was a lot of companies, what they do, they have a lot of resources, no, 80, 90% of their resources on H1 which means they are investing a lot of money to, to better their business. And then they have, I don't know, 20% or 30% of resources on H3, which are these moonshots that are very costly and very crazy. But they were missing the H2, which are those activities that might come to fruition very soon, but they didn't think about that. So there was a gap in their growth because they were jumping one, one step. So the mindset is also this, trying to look at the company in a way that you are saying, okay, I know that the rule of the game is not only making revenues, but is being alive for the longest time as yeah. possible. Mm -hmm. And to do it's natural. You need to change because the world changes, yeah. the, the economy changes, the technology changes. So I think this is one interesting, how can we say, approach to, to start with this. Yep. mindset. Yeah, I like how you described because there's a lot of things is growth for me if I'm not a tech company or is it should I be doing growth on the early days or like a, a, a juggernaut with a like hundred years old company should I embrace growth and the answer is yes like everyone should be doing growth and I know I'm a little biased to say because I work for growth hackers <laughs> but the point is what it will actually change is your strategy. It's what you focus on. So if you're on the early days, as you said, like, like in, in early days might be the uh, like ninth year. I'm not saying that like on the first year, like as McKinsey say, like sometimes some companies take a lot more time than others to achieve product market, to find product market fit. So it's not a time-based horizon. It's actually, as you said, a, a market maturity or a company maturity uh, in the market. So forget about the time horizon. Uh, it's actually like your accomplishment. So I, I, I like to look at these, like everyone should be doing growth. What changes is what you should be focusing on. So if you are on a pre-product market phase, your strategy should be running uh, tests and trying to validate hypotheses to find that niche, to find your place in the market, to find your product market fit, so-called product market fit, or call it whatever you want. The point is, find yeah. a niche in the market that you can grow exponentially and satisfy that niche. The second stage is what we like to call traction. 
attraction is where like, all right, I have found the niche that if I can satisfy them pretty well, I can grow exponentially. So you're going to be, your strategy, your growth strategy should be to maximize, to find new channels and maximize that channels and get more revenue for customers and retain your customers, but everything on that direction, on gaining traction on that single direction. And once you have gained traction on that direction, you might enter phase three, which is expansion. So then I'm going to be talking about launching new products, going into new markets, and like those innovations that are coming from big companies, not from startups. So I like to look at growth on those three different states, product market fit, traction, and expansion. It varies based on your company and marketing maturity, not on your time horizon. And you touch like, you touch a point that our founder, like the Chanel keeps always saying, and it's actually like his definition of growth hacking is actually like to achieve sustainable long-term growth. So it's exactly that point. Like we are not trying to get our graph, like our chart to skyrocket this week, but next week it's going to fall down all over again. Like how can I achieve sustainable long-term growth? So sustainable basically means that you don't need, you're not like just inputting tons and tons of resources to make that work. Uh, Like I need to not be a hundred percent dependent on new money or investors money. I need to find sustainable ways to grow and long-term basically explain like it's, it speaks for itself, right? It's, I don't want to grow on this week and come back to where I was at next week. I want to keep growing all over the long term. So I want to be here for it. But this reminds me of, of something. I don't remember where did I dig this interview, but for me was, uh, is one of the things that I think in the internet gets lost, but I, I wrote it down and I remember this interview from Steve Jobs and he was talking about the iPhone. And so at the time before he launched the iPhone, I don't know if you even know this. So if we go back and, and probably the younger ones don't remember this Apple, the turnaround of Apple was the iPod yeah. and the iMac were the big breakthrough from 1992, I believe, when Steve Jobs came back. It's a thousand music on your pocket, right? Yes, a thousand songs <laughs> in your pocket. <laughs> and, and then at the time when he launched the iPhone, if you think about it, the iPhone actually cannibalized the iPod completely. Yeah. Now, what Steve Jobs were saying is that the old technology of the touchpad and, and the touch screen was already developed in what they soon to be the iPad. Yeah. So they had that, but he understood because there were other players like Motorola. I, I remember I had a Motorola touch screen that were allowing to have MP3s in their phone and so he started thinking and said okay what is going to kill the ipod and his answer was when the technology arrives to the point that everybody has in their pocket and a phone and when we can have enough space enough technology to to have that music in that phone then the ipod is going to become obsolete so he launched the iphone knowing yeah. That he was going to kill 
the iPod, but eventually the, the, the curve, he was so ahead of the curve that he still made uh, yeah. enough money with the iPod, but he knew in his head, he had to fast track the idea of the iPad. So he said, okay, let me put aside the iPad. Let's focus on the iPhone because this is, this is the device that is going to kill yeah. my, my market. It's better which for is, us to kill our product than the others, right? Exactly. And, and in my opinion, this is a completely uh, clear strategy of growth. Only when you have that mindset of growth, you can think this way. Yeah. Otherwise, you would squeeze as much as you could on the iPad. And, and adding on what you were saying, maybe we can give some example. So when we talk about growth hacking and the first step that we said, first of all, we need to change the company culture. So we need to have this mindset that says, okay, we have a team or we have to start this process from the C-level that says our first priority is growth and not necessarily only revenue, but growth in, in so many dimensions. Yeah. And we can deep dive on that later. But the other point is that Usually growth hackers look at the funnel, no? So the sales funnel or marketing funnel or the pirate funnel, as we want to call it. Yep. Why do we look at this funnel as, let's say, the, the starting point? Like, what's your opinion on it? Yeah, I think the whole point, as you said, it really doesn't matter which framework you use. It's if it's the pirate, if it's the AAAR, if it's the top, bottom, or middle of the funnel. The point is that the growth team should be able to, should have the flexibility to act upon the biggest opportunity right now. And I think there is a habit that people tend to think that the issue is always on the acquisition side. One proof that we have out of that is that you can easily find a marketing agency, right? Like they are everywhere, but can you find a retention agency? Can you find a, an activation agency, <laughs> a revenue agency? Yes. Why there are not people helping you to retain your customers, just putting more leads on the top of your funnel, if that probably isn't your issue right now. Like, True. I know, and, and like, I know this because like, I have taken care of our partners program where we help agencies provide growth services to their customers. And even growth agencies, people normally come in and on the front door, what they are looking for is branding, positioning, or more leads. Like I need to get to more people. And since that's the mindset that the customers get to the agency, or his strategy has been, all right, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take care of your problem as you are requesting. However, can you give me the flexibility to try one new objective in parallel? So mm -hmm. if you want me to run your ads, I'm gonna be running our ads. But can I, in parallel to your ads, can I try to build a referral program? <laughs> or For example. try to change something on your onboarding process to see if we can activate more users. And once they are able to like, and normally, like I know I'm being generalistic here, but normally in almost all of the cases, we are able to provide more results 
to the bottom line with the parallel objective than just by inserting more leads on the top of the funnel. Because Absolutely. if you got like a 10%, like let's say that you have a, from every lead that signs up on your website, you're converting 2% of them uh, as customers. Instead of adding more a thousand or 10,000 leads in your top of the funnel and still get those 2%, what if I change something on your onboarding process and you start converting 4% of those leads instead of two? That's a huge okay. twerk. And, and, Absolutely. and since that has never been the focus, normally that is tons of improvement opportunities on that, on those areas. Like your customers, like your happy customers are probably the most loyal stakeholders that you could rely upon. So take your NPS, the ones that give you 10 or 9 or 8, and ask them to just introduce you to their colleagues and their friends, yeah, right? So those are like easy to do, uh, some objectives that are easy to do. And normally they, they, they just bring a lot more resources than just adding more stuff to the top of your funnel. So basically, if we can synthesize this super interesting point is, so let's imagine that we are not in the digital space, but for example, let's say that you have a retail, whatever it is, a shoe retailer, what we are uh, mapping in growth hacking through the funnel, basically you are saying, okay, awareness, think about this as your advertising. So where are you placing those fantastic billboards? with the shoes and, and the beautiful girl and the beautiful boy <laughs> that are wearing your shoes, okay? So that's the awareness part. If we want to move, I'm on purpose moving away from the digital. Of course, nowadays, there are a ton of activity that you can do. You can do Google ads, you can do Facebook, you can do Instagram and whatever you like. That's the, acquis the awareness component. So how do people understand that you exist in the very first place? The second part, is there a call to action to this message? So, for example, if we look at this billboard, does this billboard tells you, hey, look, the Pedro uh, sneakers shoes, fantastic brand, is in Rue, whatever, in street, what in you know, Fifth Avenue, big opening tomorrow, come, you will get a gift. That's your acquisition. Yeah. Now... In the digital world could be something that you are activate, okay, pick up your invitation or sign up here or call this number, whatever it is, that's your activation. And this is uh, what Pedro was talking about. These are the harder one are the revenues. So how can I actually generate, how do I get Mr. whatever, John Red to come and buy my sneaker? The moment I buy this sneaker, that's the revenue component. Yeah. The revenue component can also be expanded because maybe we can say, hey, John, if you buy the sneaker and the, the socks, you get a discount, which means you are increasing your ticket. You are increasing the value of your revenue yeah. in that sense. Mm -hmm. Or you can say you can pair the sneakers, the socks and the hat or whatever. Or you can have the sneakers for you and the, the you have the black sneakers for the boy and the pink sneakers for the girl yeah. or whatever. You know, so all of these activities are increasing your revenue opportunities. These are also things and tests and, and experiments that we can do. And then the last part is 
the retention, and this is something that maybe we can talk about. How do I retain this customer? In what is the activity that I can do to make sure that the same customer comes back to my store, comes back to my brand? And then last but not least, what you were saying, which is the referral program. Mm -hmm. So in high tempo testing, Pedro, what do you think, for example, what could be an exercise or an example of experiment that we can do on retention, for example? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like this question a lot because people tend to link growth hacking with digital companies. And that's not like... (laughs) It's not necessarily the case. We have we work with governments, with banks, with public transportation companies, and they are like it's easy. It sometimes it's easy for you to gather data when you're online, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's something exclusive for digital companies. Like I like two, two examples that I like that are companies that are not necessarily online, but I I, I was helping a logistic company from Latin America to build their growth team. And they were growing like exponentially, like they were skyrocketing. They they, they had just raised uh, 50 million million dollars funding round. And they were growing like their customers on the two sides of their marketplace, everything was growing. You know what was actually like the biggest bottleneck for their growth was, uh, it was on people. They weren't able to hire as many people as they needed to evolve the product or to keep selling or to keep retaining their customers. So the hiring, the, the HR departments or the people operation department actually became the first objective of the growth team. So they hopped in, they created like an Instagram, like they, they did a whole bunch of different stuff to actually help the, the HR department hire everyone that they needed to. But the point is, like they created an Instagram account, they did some ads, they did an event and invited people all over the city to come in and eat pizza and just get <laughs> to know the company a little bit better. And uh, it, like they, in less than one month, they were able to provide a 10x increase in the number of applicants to open jobs position in the company. So that had nothing to do with acquisition, with activation, with retention, with revenue. <laughs> like it, it was actually like even out of the AARRR framework, <laughs> but it was the biggest bottleneck in the company in that moment. Absolutely. So when you bring together like people with totally different backgrounds, skill sets, which is the growth team to solve an issue, and they have the flexibility to just think outside of the box, chances are good things are going to come out of that. And that, that's Absolutely. the case. One other that I would like to bring, if we still have time, is... Absolutely. All the time you have, <laughs> you awesome. want. Like, that, that one is one of my favorites. Uh, TED Talks. They host events, like for the ones who doesn't know them, they host speakers' uh, events all around the globe. And they were hosting this, I'm not, I, I don't recall which city that was exactly. But they were just entering that country, the country, and they were they were to host an event like a week or two weeks time horizon, 
and they weren't able to get as many attendees as they would like to. Like people were not enrolling, they didn't know TEDx very well yet. So what they did was they already had this schedule with the speakers and the speakers had to train the actually talk that they were gonna give. So what they did was let's host uh, a TEDx event one week prior to the main event. And we are gonna invite all of the cab drivers in the city for free. Let's okay. just bring the cab drivers and they're gonna watch the event for free. No, like no commitment, no strings attached, just bring them in. And since they had to train the speakers either way, they were gonna have to do that, right? So it was a no cost strategy. Just invite people in and people like the speakers are gonna train. And they did. So they fill up the, the stadium with uh, cab drivers. And you know what cab drivers actually do? They talk to people all day long. <laughs> different <Absolutely>. people. <laughs> so the deal with the cab drivers was just let's host an event. And if they like the event, they are going to spread the word. They're going to pick like everyone that they pick up in the airport. They're going to be talking about that event. Everyone that they pick up and open up a conversation, they're going to be talking about the event. And the result is actually like they, they sold out. They got this. They, they sold that. out. This is fantastic. And this is why I say that in reality, when we look at the growth hacking, and unfortunately nowadays we, we go by these buzzwords that we go design thinking and business design and growth hacking and and every now and then and is becoming even now is becoming faster and faster so every year or every two years there is one big thing that comes up and what i've been trying to to teach several companies and to talk about these topics is always the same is what we call design driven organization so the big change going back to to our uh, mindset is putting the people at the center instead of the product at the center. Because you understand that are the people, whether are your customer, your team, the people supporting you, they are the ones that actually make the change happen. And this is why in growth hacking, the most important part is talking about the growth team and starting a growth team. Of course, uh, different organization, different sizes might have, if you are a very large corporation, you might have a team of 10 people. But if you are a very small, very small company, it doesn't matter. They can be three people that look at different aspects of your organization as soon as they are empowered, like you said before to fail, to try, to, to do these kind of things. In the old days, we called it research and R&D now we have this fancy world of growth hacking team, but I love the ideas of growth hacking because growth hacking, it might really be that missing element of, of explanation from when we talk about business design is still a very new practice, which is the fusion of design thinking. Mostly we are leveraging design thinking with business goals. Mm -hmm. So the definition that, that I always say in business design is that you use the practices and tools of design with the mindset and the measures of business. And the overall goal of business design is to 
meet business goals satisfying human needs this is my <laughs> definition but, but thank you but growth hacking actually brings this to the practical level so the the funnel is not only if you are a digital company or if you are a physical company the beautiful thing of the funnel is that is cross functional you go from marketing on the top line to product at the bottom line so it's not only a marketing activity is a product activity is yeah. like you said is a people activity is an h in it involves all the departments of of a company is just a good framework to understand that once we, let, sorry let me step back why we use this funnel idea is that because you are basically looking at the customer journey within your organization so you know that if you don't have customer whether you are a B2B or a B2C company you still have somebody that is buying a product or service or whatever it is and at the end of the at the end of the spectrum this person is going to have an opinion and is going to talk bad or good about you and he's going to if he's very satisfied he's going to spread your message uh, and if he's not he's going to spread the message either way but in the wrong direction so I would say a growth hacker is like an equalizer, is a DJ that, that twists all these knobs so that the right messages are delivered uh, at the right time. Because if I ask you, you know, my, my friend or somebody that I'm talking to, I ask Pedro, I say, Pedro, can you introduce me to five people that might be interested in this podcast episode? You would say, sure. And but if I don't ask, maybe this is not something that will come up into your mind or is not something that rightfully is not your priority. And this is the for example the referral part. It is an experiment. Mm-hmm. Right? Correct. Yeah, exactly. And another proof of that uh, Gianluca is I believe like most people are already familiar with the OKR Uh, methodology. Absolutely. In, in growth, we use the North Star metric, right? Both methodologies, like both the OKR and the growth hacking methodologies, they have the same KPI structure. Like one metric, both them all, then like in the OKR, you got like the company's objective and key result, breaking down into departments' objectives and key results, breaking down into people's objectives and key results. It's a three-layer cadence of KPIs. And on the growth hacking methodology, you've got the same three-layer cadence of KPIs, but one is the North Star metric, the second are the objectives, and then you've got the ideas, hypotheses, and tests that you're going to execute. And what you're going to find in the OKR methodology is normally let's double size the number of customers that we have for the year. Let's double our revenue for the year. Let's triple our bottom line for the year. It's always something internal. As a customer, I really don't care if, you're, like, if your revenue is X or Y. It changes absolutely nothing for me. So we are looking from the OKR, we are looking through to the company, like through the company's lens. While in growth, we try to add one cohort, like one extra thing to that vision, which is the customer. So when we talk about North Star metric, that's the concept. Like how can we match 
our company's ambition with the value that our customer expects. Is there a way for us to connect those two? If you are, if you're able to connect those two metrics, then you got your North Star metric. Like Uber, Uber, it's like one possible North Star metric for Uber is rides completed. Why? Because if they are completing more rides, then the rider is getting value, the passenger is getting value, and Uber is making money. So if I double my rides completed for a quarter, I'm also like potentially doubling my revenue as well. Uh, Airbnb, nights booked, because if you're booking a night, the host is getting value, the traveler is getting value, Airbnb is making money, so everyone is pretty happy on that transaction. But as an OKR, Airbnb could be let's double our revenue, which doesn't include the customer at all. So growth tries to add this new perspective to the table, which is the focus on the customer, the value that the customer perceived, the value that the customer actually, that we actually deliver to our customers. And and now, while we are talking about metrics, I've been in this business long enough to be speaking about the same topic now for, oh my God, 15 years. <laughs> But now we also have studies, one from the Design Institute, another one very important, for one, once again for McKinsey, which is called the real value of design in business, that are measuring the results of uh, design-driven organizations. They are saying, and this is data, these are not opinions, these are data that say, when you are a design-driven organization, Apple, Amazon, Herman Miller, all of these companies, they perform twice the return on investment and the return on stakeholders comparing to their counterparts in the same industry, which is mind-blowing. Yeah. That's the reality. But So they perform twice uh, as much. So they, they, they grow twice as fast as their industry counterparts, which is amazing. And the other part, when we talk about North Star Metric, and I've been now talking about this for six months, eight months now, and I've been talking with a lot of companies, and you would be surprised when I ask this question to companies. Even very well-structured company, I ask, okay, so what's your North Star Metric? Not many companies can answer this question, surprisingly. And, and the result, the answer that you get most of the time is, oh, revenues? And I was like, no, beside the revenues. And, and this is something very interesting. Because, and I'm not saying this in, in a negative way, but in a positive way is, guys, there is a new way of doing business. And there are, now is the best time because now... I understand that before it was harder to measure all these aspects of, for example, all this channel and funnel. But nowadays we can measure almost anything and we can automate this very easily. I don't know if you remember when we were kids in a store or in a club that were, there was the guy that were counting the heads. Now you can do that. You remember with the clicker, right? <laughs> the number of people going into a club. Yeah. Now you can do that automatically with the software that is super basic with just a webcam. Uh, and this is the discussion that we were having with many people. Is 
so easy nowadays to to measure and to actually make decision based on on data and if we have the right mindset if we have the right knowledge the right people that are using this data appropriately and this is where i think uh really great software like growthhacking.com or and all the courses that we are doing there is it it really can change a drastic approach to to do yeah. to the growth of of your company so this is absolutely something that we must take in consideration agree right? agree more <laughs> <laughs> so pedro i'm worried about the time i know you are super busy lastly if you want to close with something else you want to add you've been super generous with your time we are almost at the mark of the hour now <laughs> No, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure to chat with you, Gianluca. Uh, it's <laughs> I learn something new every time and I hope like our listeners are also learning something new with us. So, thanks for having me. Uh, as some last words like just if you want to visit and get to know our community, our products, our university, you guys are all welcome to join. Yes. And yeah, if any questions aside from the ones that we tackled here, feel free to reach out to me. I would be happy to help. Absolutely. And all the links are going to be on the website on glc.live and also the growth hacking community gave us a huge gift. Pedro gave us a huge gift which is uh, a very interesting discount for all the listeners of GLC Live so you can have discounts on the software and on the on the courses of growthhacking.com. Thank you so much Pedro. It was wonderful to have you. And I hope we can meet finally live soon. <laughs> Me too, man. As soon as this is over, I will visit Italy for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks, Gianluca. Bye-bye. This is GLC Live. I'm Gianluca Cinque Palmi. If you enjoyed this podcast and videocast, please subscribe and comment to our podcast on YouTube or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. For references and links, you can visit glc.live.